you read first. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Saviour and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is the word of the Lord. What Psalm 51 is, it's the prayer of a believer. And I wonder if you have ever prayed this prayer as it is found in the Bible. It's a prayer for forgiveness. I have never met anybody, ever, who at any given time, at some point, young or old, haven't found the need to ask for forgiveness. When there are things that are wrong in our lives, Grant, are you okay? Are you disturbing me with your coughs? You go outside if you keep doing that. Uh, I suppose it's better than sleeping, but not much. Okay. If there are things that are wrong in our lives, then we need to put them right. And Psalm 51 simply tells us how to. And there are three steps that we're going to follow very briefly in the course of this sermon. Quite simply, how do I get rid of sin in my life? And how do I get right with God so that I'm not pretending? These three steps. Number one, as we look at this psalm, and I'll make some passing references, because I want the psalm to speak to you, not me. What I'm saying isn't of any importance, but what this psalm says in God's word is of supreme importance. Number one, um, don't cover up. Don't cover up. That's the first step that you need to make. You see how the psalm begins? And for those of you who have a Bible or you can look at it at home, you will see that this is a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan, preaching a sermon just as I'm doing, um, brought a challenge to David in that he was living in an adulterous affair and had been manipulating events that his best friend 
was pushed into the heat of the battle and was subsequently killed and life settled down into a quiet routine and all was well until the preacher came and said, you are the man, you are the man. And David responds without covering up and says, cleanse me. That's how the psalm begins. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. And then he says, cleanse me, wash me from my sin. Don't cover up. Cleanse me. There's the negative, we shouldn't do that. The positive, we must do this. If you like, think about it like this. David's in church, just like us. He's listening to a sermon, just like us. God is speaking, just like us. And for a long time, maybe like some of us, for a long time he'd been covering up. He'd been praying, but pretending. He'd been worshipping, but keeping God at a distance. But now he is challenged within the temple worship. And he comes face to face with his sin in a way that he had not done before. And there's two things that happens. We're saying, don't cover up, cleanse me. Number one, the first thing is this. He accepts the responsibility for his sin. That is sometimes a tough thing to do. Isn't it easy to blame other people? To blame society? Look at it. Or the politicians? Look at them. Or the BBC? Somebody is to blame. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe we've been dealt a difficult pack to live with. Maybe it's our background. Maybe it's our poor education. Maybe it's the company we keep, the school we go to. Or maybe even it is God himself. Somebody is to blame. But what David does here is this. He faces himself in this profound and personal way that he had not done before. Now that is something that's quite hard to do. But it's something we must do, all of us. It's easy to excuse ourselves and to blame others. Last Sunday, uh, I came to this church with uh, a police officer and we caught three folk in the church red-handed. And when they were apprehended in the graveyard... They said, well, it's not our fault. We are homeless. It's not my fault. My parents are divorced. And a lot of other things. And then, on Tuesday, these two young folk came back to say, we are sorry. And I got the distinct impression they were sorry that they were caught. Not sorry. There is a difference, isn't there? This type of sorry is much deeper than that. It's me. It's about me and my relationship to God. It's not saying sorry that I'm caught. It's not the same as saying sorry for my sin. It's a good start. But it's having a face-to-face -face encounter with the living God. And you see what David does. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That's the first thing. And the second thing, he acknowledges the seriousness of his sin. It isn't simply that he's been found out and he, his cover has been blown. It isn't just that. He uses an interesting word. You see it in, in verse 3. I know my transgressions. Big word. It's an interesting word. 
A transgression is something that you can't do accidentally. For example, you can't break into a church and cause damage and steal money and say, well, it's an accident. Come on. And there are things in our lives that happen that are transgressions. It's not bad luck. It's a choice. And David realizes that. A transgression literally means going into forbidden territory. Something deliberate. Almost sort of defiant. Against the law of the land, but no more than that. Against God personally. It's against God in this sense, and he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is right in your sight. Now, of course, sin has a social implication, a family one, and so on and so forth. Yes. But when you see it in relationship to God, and you think that God sent his son so that now he deals with our sin by a transfer, my sin is put on the Lord Jesus. The cross of Jesus tells you just how serious sin is. That's the first thing then, and very quickly, going on much quicker. Don't cover up, cleanse me. The second step is this. Don't give up. You may be hearing a sermon like this and you think, oh, this is me. But what's the point? So the heading is, don't give up, restore me. Restore me. You see, in verse 8, for example, let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Now we must remember that David believes in God. But he had learnt, it takes a bit of time, not a lot of effort, just time, he'd learned to live with a low level of commitment. He became quite comfortable with his sin. It didn't trouble him anymore. Used to. What a terrible thing I've done. Look at the, the way I've ruined people's lives. Look at the effect that it's had. But in the course of time, he settled down. He got used to it. It's okay. Not too bad. And here's the danger. Okay, that's David then. This is us now. Here's the danger. To compare ourselves with others. That's the let out clause. To compare ourselves with others. Let me use an illustration. Two brothers. Two brothers. Well known for their crooked dealings. In a certain town. However, they continue to increase in wealth. And even more wealth. Until suddenly, the younger brother, surprisingly, has a massive heart attack and dies. And the brother is left with a problem. The problem is this. How am I going to arrange this funeral in a way that's fitting to my brother? So he looks for a minister. Hadn't seen many of them in the course of his life. And finally he finds a minister. And he says to him, I would like you to take my brother's funeral. But if you do, I want you to promise me you will do one thing. One thing only. In the course of your eulogy, when you talk about him, I want you to call him a saint. Well, the minister is a shrewd fellow, as some ministers are. And he agrees after a little thought. And he thinks to himself, well, I could change my car. And I could give the rest to the building fund. So, 
the deal is done. The funeral service starts. And in the course of the service, some people are waiting, particularly the colleagues and the people whom this, these brothers had cheated. The minister begins like this. The man you see, in those days they had an open coffin, was a vile, debauched individual. He was a liar, a thief, a deceiver, a reprobate and a hedonist. He destroyed the fortunes of many people, some of whom are here today, and they would nod in agreement. This man, the deceased, did every dirty, rotten thing you can think of. But compared to his brother sitting in front of me, he was a saint. <laughs> he was a saint. You see what he's doing? If you compare yourself with other people, that's okay. But if you would ever dare for a moment to compare yourself with God, you have a problem. You have a problem. To compare with lesser people, that's okay. But to come face to face with Almighty God, well, that's a different thing. And that's what happens to David in Psalm 51. Don't cover up. Cleanse me. Don't give up. Restore me. Restore me. Maybe you could think of David like this. The best of believers can be tempted by the worst of sins. He was. And he was pretending and covering until he comes face to face with a living God. And now to compare with other people, that doesn't help at all. And the last thing from this psalm is this. Don't dry up. Use me. And each of these positive alternatives are borrowed from this prayer in Psalm 51. And when you go home, you could look it up and see. So that he says this. If now I am possibly right with God, then maybe he might even use me. So that the sins that I've done, the foolishness that I've committed, the pretense that I've had, the charade that I made, now I'm open before God. And I know I'm forgiven. I know I don't deserve it. But now maybe I could be used to bring other people to a living faith in the living God. Don't dry up. Use me. Why do I say don't dry up? Well, for this reason. Here's the prayer. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't withdraw the power of God in my life. Without that... I'm like a dried up well. Before the, the rains used to see those reservoirs, didn't you? Almost dried out. Don't dry up. Use me. And there's a pivotal word in the psalm that says, Then I, even I, will teach transgressors your way. I know I've been into forbidden territory. And I have the scars and I know I will have to live with that. And I will stand before God. But even so, I can teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to God. That's his prayer.
It's a very remarkable prayer, isn't it? And it's so timely for every one of us here tonight. Forgiveness on its own almost is not enough in this prayer. What he says is, I need renewal. I need the power of the Spirit in my life that I might sustain this commitment to a living God. What Jesus calls with his disciples, rivers of living water from within. Joy, blessing, healing, restoring, renewing, create in me a clean heart, O God. So instead of being an arid, dried up reservoir, here is new life flowing. Instead of being a hindrance, I am now a channel of peace. I'm a stepping stone that other people could walk over and have an encounter with the living Jesus. The heading that we have is not perfect, indeed not, but forgiven, forgiven. And forgiveness is God's great gift. Here we are tonight. We've heard the account of what it is to put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And I hope that that is true of all of us here tonight. And it may be for the very first time that you experience this and you open yourself. So let's conclude. Here's the challenge. As God has been speaking to us from this Psalm 51, right then, don't cover up. Own up. Own up. It's nobody else. Not my brother, my sister. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of forgiveness. So you would pray, forgive me. That's how the psalm begins. Forgive me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. His unfailing love. It's never failed yet. Don't cover up. Own up. Don't give up. Don't become so discouraged that you have a track record, that this might be a mirror of you. Come to God. Trust in him. And when you say, I can't keep it up, you are so right you can't. But God, by his power, will be with you when you fail and you stumble and you mess up. Don't give up, but open up. Open up. Take the risk of opening your heart and life to this living Lord and ask him. And it's a lovely phrase that we have in this psalm, verse 10, create in me. It's a lovely word. We could comment on it now, but you know, it's, it's bringing something out of nothing. So here in the arid lives, he creates something beautiful and glorious. His grace transforming. So don't give up. Open up. Create in me a clean heart, a new heart. And finally, don't dry up. Don't. Grow up. Let his grace and fruit be so seen in your life that he uses you as a channel to other people. And there's that phrase, at a certain point, the psalm switches and he says, then I will, but not until I'm right with you. Even I can be used by the Lord. And what, how did the psalm end from the reading? The Lord will open my lips and my mouth will declare his praise. 
It's a great psalm. It's a great prayer. I hope you'll pray it and mean it. And if you pray it for the first time, then talk to one of us. And as this baptismal pool is open, so you can externalize that faith by following him through the waters of baptism.